Hello everybody and welcome back to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is Aaron Percival and you're listening to episode 65. Joining me today is a special guest. If you've been checking out the site and the socials lately, you should hopefully recognize his name because I've been bigging him up something chronic and um, <laughs> bigging him up his work really bad lately because I loved it that much. I'm joined by Alex White, the author of Alien, The Cold Forge. Hey! And uh, thanks for joining, Alex. Yeah, yeah appreciate you taking the time to chat. So before we do actually nerd out and uh-huh. start talking alien, I was hoping you could just give us a little bit of background on yourself. You know, who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Sure. So obviously, Alex White. Uh, <laughs> I've been writing novels seriously since 2006. You have how long I get anywhere? Uh, I got an agent with my fifth book. <laughs> <laughs> Sold it uh, in 2015, and it came out in 20. That also should tell you how long. It's and, hard field to break into, isn't it? Oh, it's extremely difficult, and that's why that's why it took so long. Because you know you have to build up your network, and you have to like, befriend a bunch of authors, go to conference, become a regular. It's, and then it's not once, always about the talent, is it? No offense to you at this point. No, but it's no. not. It's not about. It's who you know as well. Right. There are plenty of people who are super genius, but the problem is, is that either they're un, they, you know, they're completely unknown. So it's like they're screaming into a static field, mm-hmm. or they're really hard to work with. And like being easy to work with is like job number one. I actually have had, and I, I you know, don't want to say exactly what happened here, but I've actually had reversals based on how good my customer service was. <laughs> right. Where, and then not, not for Cold Forge. Cold Forge was always a go, but there were some that, that weren't. And then they became a go because I was so nice and easy to work with. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, that's, um, but uh, yeah, more about me. Let's see here. I, I live in Huntsville, Alabama, which colloquially referred to as Rocket City. It's actually where NASA uh, All right they dropped all those Nazi scientists after they, so it's weird because sometimes you'll go to buy a house and it'll have been owned by a Nazi. I guess that's more common in Europe though. <laughs> I can't say that's ever been something I've really heard. But yeah, so I worked in uh, military uh, defense for a good portion of time, which is part of what attracted Titan to me as an author. They were so ecstatic when I was like, yeah, I can actually write about those like from firsthand knowledge. Yeah. What it's like to work on programs like that. Just put it on a space station, obviously, but you know. (laughs) A little different. Little different. Only a little. Only a little. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I worked a lot on uh, unmanned aerial stuff like that. So it was really, uh, you get stuck in a lot of labs working with a lot of the same kind of. And so, like, I'm always worried that one of my old co-workers is going to read the Cold Forge and be like, he's talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> because you'll notice that nobody's really nice in that book. <laughs> See, that's, what, that's one of the things I loved about it was that nobody was black or white, but they were all just shades of gray and completely human. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I I really care about the characters first. And I mean, like, I've always wanted to write in the Alien universe, but to me, the Xenomorphs are kind of like a tsunami. Like, I can't write them as characters. They're a force. They're, there's just uh-huh. something that's coming. And and so I didn't want to, I didn't want to, like, I don't know, I didn't want to play them up as characters. It was really funny, because uh, in the original issue of the cover, there were five backpipes on the alien. Some people call them smokestacks, some people call them gills. You know, and you guys, you know, AVP Galaxy, immediately everybody spotted it, you know, mm-hmm. and... And, and so did I, by the way. You you debuted the cover. I was the last to see it. Uh, 
what I thought was funny was the number of people across the internet who very charitably said, yeah, well, maybe this one on the cover is a special ape. Like, maybe it's because the book is about genetic engineering. Maybe it's a genetically engineered alien. And I was so tickled because I was like, you know, you guys are really trying to give me more credit than is due here. <laughs> It's all right. We we know you guys don't actually have anything to do with the covers. It's no. fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was the first time I saw the cover. Uh, Funny. Uh, yep. uh, sorry, did did I interrupt you with that the question? You, you, you no, no. I, I oh, sorry. I, I yeah. ran out of stuff about myself. Oh, you know what? I'll just go ahead and say my first my debut novel, Every Mountain Made Low, came out in 2016. Southern United States dystopian ghost story, if you, and uh, it's similarly dark, which is which is nice because you know uh, writing the Cold Force is very you know, as you said, none of the characters are really black and white. And Every Mountain Made Low is also like, it's not really brilliant, vibrant, commercial, explosion-based fiction. It's dark and subtle and small and dangerous. And uh, then uh, this June 26th, actually, I've got a book coming out, which is weird. Having books come out back to back is impossible. You know how that happened. Well, I'll take it. Yeah, of course. Uh, but on June 26th, A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe comes out, which is my like kind of more lighthearted space fantasy about uh, a race car driver and a washed up con artist. They uncover a galactic conspiracy and they have to solve it. So if you like Firefly, that kind of stuff, you'll, you'll love a bit. It's a strange profession. Seems to be one of your things. <laughs> yes, yes. I love, I love, you're absolutely right. I always wanted to write a book about somebody who designs action. I always thought that might be kind of a weird, because you know, it's a job. It's a, it's a job that somebody yeah. has, but like what's that person like that must be just go on, go on twitter follow follow necker and there you go <laughs> right exactly hopefully i could learn about the industry but uh yeah yeah that's cool i'll, I'll actually pre-order that one after we're done <laughs> <laughs> great i'm glad to hear it i hope you enjoy it unfortunately i can't be like yeah you should promote it on avp galaxy because like it doesn't really you know this is the most promotion that would make any sense to anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Actually, before we get into it, warning um, to the listeners, there are going to be spoilers. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, great. if you haven't this... already brought it, go buy it, The Cold Forge, that is. And if you haven't already read it, go read it and then come back. This is the first interview that I've done with, that's had spoilers a lot. So this will be fun. We can really see, like that, that, this is why I, always, I don't like doing pre-release interviews. Right, right. Um, no, that makes sense. Because everything's so veiled in what you can say. Right. Um, so yeah, I always I always turn down the pre-release interview offers. Like, I'll talk to them after. It's, it's true, and and like you know, there are only so many times that I can answer the question, "How did you get this gig?" Mm -hmm. Which you know, if you want an answer to that, you can check set the tape. You can check sci-fi.com. You know, like <laughs> there there are all kinds of you know other places that you can get those answers. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, but because they're not spoiler interviews, you can't you can't dig in. Mm. Well, spoiler alert, I'm going to ask him about that anyway, but hopefully. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, okay, I'll say it here too. <laughs> yeah. Well, for completion's sake, you know, you don't want to send them elsewhere. <laughs> that's right. That's, yeah, that's true. I, yeah, stop, stop diverting my listeners away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, so uh, that, that's Alex. You know, I think I've given a pretty good intro for the book there as well, you know, endorsement. And so let's start talking aliens. Sure. Uh, I guess this one's a bit of a bog standard question as well in terms of for an alien thing, because it's actually a little tradition that we have on our podcast and our interviews. All right. Um, and that's, we pretty much just love to hear about the first time the guest that we've got on has experienced the franchise. So whether that's alien, whether that's predator, we're going to be talking about whatever. 
So do you remember the first time you ever saw an alien film and which would you say is your favorite? Yeah, so when I was a kid, we weren't really allowed to have action movies and stuff in the house. You know, it was just like no horror, especially. But Terminator 2 came out and it was like winning Oscar, you know. And so my parents were like, well, I guess we, I guess you could maybe watch it. And so we watched it with a couple of family friends. One of them was an X-Men sniper. Okay. And um, so he, this dude loved actions and especially horrific action. And so after, after we get done, my parents look at me and they're like, oh, he doesn't look traumatized. And so... <laughs> Our family friend Greg was like, I'm going to give him all the movies. And so how, how old were you at that point? Sorry. Oh, I was probably like 10 or 11, maybe. It's funny because I watched T2 when I was probably about 10 as well. And actually gave me um, some issues that night. Oh, <laughs> Nightmares. I loved it. But the, the atomic bomb scene, I'll never forget. <laughs> the, um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm 36. So should be around the same age. But uh, No, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. Oh, okay. Well, you just, uh, Woo. all right. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's all right. I feel old all the time anyway. So I appreciate any chance to feel younger. There you go. There you go. Yeah. At my expense, no less. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so, so he gave me, uh, on VHS, he had alien aliens, alien three. And then he also had, you know, predator, predator two and warlock. Okay. And, uh, so I, I mean, like I started just binge watching those. And, uh, I remember the first time I saw alien, it was terrifying, but I also didn't necessarily like get all the subtext because mm-hmm. that's that's a really subtle move for you know a ten year old kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like it didn't it, I didn't get it. I got Alien instantly. I mean, it's that's the kind of movie you show a ten year old kid because I mean it's got that kind of ten year old's understanding of corporate dystopia, you know, <laughs> like. Carter Burke's a jerk, you know, and he's, he's, he's showing up in person to sabotage his own chances of survival. I'm really not sure what his motivations are. Other than <laughs> <Dick. laughs> that's one way to describe him. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was actually, and that's a big part of why the cold forge looks like it does, by the way, is Carter Burke. So, so yeah, I love aliens and even alien three, I thought was really good. And, uh, I still love aliens. It's still a real soft spot because, you know, I think David is a genius mm. and, uh, I'm really sad that he didn't, they kind of showed up as a new director to a half-written project. Like, I, I want to know what, what David Fincher would have done now, you know? Mm. But, you know, when you don't have any clout, that's what you get. Um, but the, uh, yeah, long story short, my favorite film, Alien, just the original. Okay. Can't argue with that. No. <laughs> it's such a safe answer, too. I always feel bad. I'm like, I know I should, like, push the envelope, but no, Alien. That's fair enough. I mean, the great thing about those is how different they all are anyway. Oh, I know. When I was doing my pitch session, uh, that was, uh, you know, because I was like desperate to kind of like get the editor to like me and to like the pitches. And so what I was going to do is I was going to make sure that I tailored the pitches as preference. So I really play, you know, because like I, I, I pre-written all of these on, on index cards and like flashcard memorized versions <laughs> of pitches. And there was an alien version of each of the pitches and an alien version pitch. Right. And How so, would they have differed? Uh, well... In the Cold Forge, for example, if he'd have said Aliens was his favorite movie, then there would have been a Colonial Marine. Okay. And there would have been a whole lot more, you know, like they would have spent more of the movie or the book together. Whereas with Alien, and, and basically his answer was, well, they're both so good. I mean, who can try? And I was like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, all right, well, I'm picking my favorite. We're going to do Alien. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> that's awesome yeah 
Well, it's it's one way to go about it. I don't even really remember all three of the other cheese. I uh, one that was like around a military academy, and it was kind of like a Lord of the Flies survival horror. Like their their entire world was overrun, and these kids at their academy who were like all runaway problem children. Okay. And uh, the editor was like, "Oh, that's gonna be too YA, young adult." And I was like, "Not the way I'm gonna write it." <laughs> We're going to be really sad for these children. It's going to be fucked up. <laughs> but oh. he didn't go for that one. <laughs> I'm not complaining with what we got. Oh, no. Cold Forge, was, Cold Forge was far and away my favorite of the pitches, which is why I pitched it in the middle. You start with the one that's like second best. You pitch your favorite in the middle, and then you pitch your worst last so that they walk it back. That way, it makes people feel more like... You know, they go, oh, well, I really liked that other one. So I, I want to kind of push you back towards that one. And in pushing back towards you, they kind of buy in. That's a realty technique, by the way. <laughs> Are you sure you're not, you know, there's not a bit of Suddler in you? Oh, there absolutely is. Uh, um... Yeah, how do you think I wrote him? <laughs> 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 I mean, but like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm nice. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I want everybody to get along. I, but I am my day job. I am a director uh, <laughs> as well. I have a large team, and I show up and I help with projects. Luckily, I don't like shut them down and fire people. That sounds. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like we're getting some uh, some of the day job frustrations leaking into the book here. Oh, absolutely, you are. Are you kidding? Like, I don't write. Any- okay, here's the other thing. Like, I don't write anything. Like, I never make anything up whole cloth. Mm, what's I, the saying, right? What you know. Right, exactly. And it's funny because when you say that, people are always like, well, how am I supposed to write a space opera then? You know, but like, <laughs> so for example, um, the Cold Forge, and I, I, I imagine you probably have a question about this later, so I can, I can hang on to right. it. I'm, I'm sacking them off as we go through them. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> The the Cold Forge. So the week the week that I found out that I got this pitch meeting, I was at UX Week, User Experience Week in San Francisco, and I was like, I still didn't really know what I was going to pitch. I mean, I you know, I was it just nothing was coming together, and you know, it's because it's hard to tell a story in Aliens that hasn't been told, and even on its face, mine resembles like four other hmm. books. That that was one of the other things I loved about. It. I think I said it in the the review as well. You know, if you break the Cold Forge down into its basic plot element, it sounds like several of the other stories that have have come and gone. I know, and people are really rude about pointing that out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's true. It's absolutely true. And and like one of the things that you know, I I kind of try to give myself you know, a little freedom to say like, don't worry about whether or not you're going to do something wholly new. Just worry about doing something right. Even saying that, and, and I, did, I didn't mean it as, as any sort of offense. No, uh, no. Which I obviously you I, know, but yeah. while they may be existing story beats and elements that we've read before, you, you pretty much just turn them around. You know, the mad scientist isn't the, the antagonist of the story. Right, exactly. And, and, and uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so the idea came from, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting in the audience and like, I'm supposed to be taking notes, but like, it's, I'm just not there. I'm, I'm thinking about Alien, thinking about Alien. And then Double Robotics comes up to do their pitch or to do their talk to the group. And a, a telepresence robot comes out on stage. And it's, it's basically an iPad on a Segway. Anybody who's seen Big Bang Theory might recognize that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually uh, seen that. But, um, but we, we have a couple of them that we use from time to time in my work. And um, 
you know, I started, it, it wasn't, that was the first time I'd ever really seen one in person. And I was like, man, imagine that you're a bunch of survivors and then somebody comes to you and this telepresence robot and they're like, we need to do X, Y, and Z to survive. You would be like, fuck off. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it was like, we need to do X, Y, and Z so you can rescue me and we can all survive, you would be like, definitely fuck off, <laughs> you know? And so I was, I was really just kind of enamored at the idea that there would be somebody kind of stranded and, and they weren't necessarily in the direct line of fire, but they were like totally, uh, totally screwed if they couldn't convince the survivors to come help mm. them. And then I, you know, and around that same time, my friend's father passed away from ALS pretty pretty much a lethal yeah. disease and and um and i uh, you know i'd been around for a bunch of that and i have another friend who has a terminally ill child you know they were was turning into kind of a nil per us and so it, it it really started to click let's have somebody who's terminally ill and then you know and also people who have terminal illnesses they get a lot of there's a lot of discrimination against them. There's a lot of treating mm-hmm. them like their lives are worth less because you can't save. And so when you're when you're doing the calculus of like, you know, how much risk do we take to save the terminally ill person? Anybody's going to say, well, they've only got, you know, why should we risk the, you know, 100 years combined of our lives to save six months of somebody else's? And that's, you know, morally speaking, that's kind of a reprehensible choice to make. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, because it, you know, it's it's not that's not correct philosophy. You can't just pay for things good and bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very it's, very cold look at it, but it, it would happen, wouldn't it? Probably. Oh, it will absolutely happen. I know people who stop being friends with these poor uh, this oh. this poor family because they couldn't stand to see the sadness all the time. Oh, that's cold. Uh, yeah, it is. People are actually pretty mean, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm aware of that one myself. <laughs> yeah, and then um, you know that was kind of half of it, and I was mm. like, yeah, but I mean, you can't just do that. I mean, you know, how am I supposed to write an entire book where this person sits in an office or sits in a bedroom or sits, you know, like that's not gonna work. And so I, um, you know, I was I was still thinking, still thinking, and then you know, it's UX week is in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I ended up riding to the, uh, from the airport, you know, in an, with a, with a, a venture capitalist, you know, kind of a nomad. And, um, the guy was just the worst, he was the absolute <laughs> worst. And he was so charming and he was a really good looking dude. And, but he, everything that he said sucked. It just, you had to evaluate it just a little deeper. And, um, you know, and so I started to think, you know, because I, you know, I do have a, a number of tactics that I do use to kind of move things around as I need, because I mean, that's how office politics works. You don't mm-hmm. go in there and you tell everybody your true opinion of, right? Um, I think that's true of everything, really, right. isn't it? No, it's, it's a basic human trait, I guess. Right, exactly. So just turn it up a little bit and you've got a sociopath. Um <laughs> And, and I, I'd been out to a lot of drinks after the conference with a lot of different people from a lot of different Silicon Valley companies, and they never discussed the ethics of anything. They they only ever discussed the profit or or the the kind of ability to hit IPO. Um, and you know that's that's really bothersome to me because I you know I also work in tech, and one of the rules I have for my design team is don't pitch me anything you wouldn't want used on you. Okay. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but design ethics, see, that's the, that's the major difference between me and Dorian, <laughs> you know, ethics, ethics don't ever come into it. 
uh, for some of these people. And, and some people just, you know, like Dorian especially is one of those people who just like this venture capitalist. It's not enough to win. It's important that somebody loses. A bit more, more sadistic element to it. Yeah, exactly. It's not a game unless somebody loses. And and that's, you know, and if you look at it, that's why he carries off every single interaction towards, because he could have, he could have been like, okay, whatever, she didn't like me, who cares? But so he has to make them pay for right exactly yeah right and he, he but it has to happen organically because if it looks like revenge then he comes off as petty and that's you know that's losing hmm. so he has to like save it up figure things out manipulate people into the correct positions and then screw them over <laughs> which he did plenty of oh yeah <laughs> okay cool this next one i'm kind of hoping you're going to be a big enough fan to um to do this one it's one i'm going to hopefully incorporate into you know how you have your stock questions and stuff like that on these things sure um it's one I was sort of hoping to be able to incorporate in because it's it's a little bit of a thing in our community. Okay. And it's one of the big arguments in quotation marks here is in regards to the skull in Giga's original alien design. Uh-huh. Do I like it with or without eyes? Yes. Are you, are you pro skull or not? You know, I don't know because uh, it wasn't in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of, you know, like, in design, I can look at that and I can say, like, I really enjoy that. But, I mean, the fact that it doesn't have eyes is creepy, you know, if you don't know what its eyes are. And but actually, then again, they are just empty eye sockets. Right, right, I know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Certainly from a canonical perspective, the fact that pretty much the engineers seeded everything, um, as far as I can tell, that's that's pro-skull. There should probably be some form of skull in there. It's a tough <laughs> That is a super tough question. I think I, I think I'm still I think I'm still anti skull because oh. I, I feel like well I, I feel like in motion it might have been distracting and I, I, I have a I have a concern with humanizing the alien much. I don't mm. want I don't want to identify with it. Even if even if it's a bunch of empty eye sockets. Ah, but that would be speed. I you know, I just really need to see it in motion. That's the problem. I need to see it in the lighting on the screen because it, it could be great or it could be terrible. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I bet that baby alien could have been lit pretty well too. But you know, you know the, the baby from alien Resur- from yes, Resurrection. Yes, you know what? My my, th- I like the concept of the newborn. I hate the design. I thought for a long time that if they'd have just done something like the original alien without the cowl on it and just mm-hmm. that empty skull on the front, that would have been a far superior approach to. Um, oh no doubt. The newborn and and to show the human traits without it looking so. Ugh. Yeah, it looked kind of boring. I don't know. It was like it was like just kind of slimy. Yes, mammalian really needs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um. So we, I'm I, I think a... I'm anti-skull unless I can see it in motion. That's that's the important part. Well, I've just lost ground in this argument then. Oh, oh no. <laughs> nah, it's fine. Then I can be pro-skull. It's fine. I I actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Giger's work. Uh, I have all of his art books, you know. Um, I, I never actually thought that I'd get to write an alien novel when I was buying them back as a kid. You know? But, uh, yeah, I'm sure that would have been disturbing. It just mm. also would have made it huge, which, good, bad? <laughs> okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to manipulate you anymore on that answer. Yeah, man, you... you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, while not quite as extensive as the likes of Star Wars or, we'll say, Star Trek, Mm-hmm. A expanded universe for Alien has pretty much been, you know, a long time a source of additional lore for for the the franchise since the eighties. Oh yeah, um, you know, when Dark Horse did the original um, their original uh, Alien series. How versed 
in the expanded universe were you before taking a dip in it yourself yeah so i was very versed in the 90s i i read pretty much everything up to probably 98 so um pretty much all the old dark horse adaptions yes. and and um you know, I still remember the original Alien versus Predator novelization based on the screen treatment that, you know, was also adapted into a Capcom game. <laughs> you know, um, I... I uh, oh, yeah. so, so hang on, just a side tangent there on that point. Yeah. Yautje, yay or nay. What? The Yautje, the, the Predators in it. Oh, uh, what? I, I don't actually remember them that well. Ah, fair enough. What What was it? Uh, it, was, it was Perry, the Perrys did their own... Um, whole culture of the predators that they called the Outja. Oh, right. Yes, and like they would, they yeah, they talked about like the men laying eggs and the women and stuff like that and all that. Like they went through like the predator life cycle and mating and all that stuff too, right? Or is that a different predator book? They all kind of blur together yeah. after a while. I can't, I can't remember if you're thinking the hish there. I definitely remember in Prey, they had a point of Broken Tusk realizing that uh, Machiko was uh, uh, a female because of her boobs. Right. Um, right. Yes. Yeah, that was it. That was it. That was so, I mean, like, you know, when you're in middle school, like that's, you know, you're like, yep, solid logic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ones that really stuck out to me from that era were, you know, of course, Earth War, Nightmare Asylum, and, and uh, Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, like, no one can deny how fucked up that scene at the end of Labyrinth. They, you know, Doctor, it was Church, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like reflecting on when they cut off his mom's arms and legs and tried to get him to breed with her. Absolutely fucked up section. That is the most fucked up thing I've ever read. Period. And it's probably <laughs> one of the most memorable parts of the expanded universe as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh god, that was horrible. And then, um, music of the spear or music of the spears. Uh, mm -hmm. Aliens versus Ninjas. <laughs> it, it was so good in comic form, and uh, uh, you know, I, yeah, that's that's another one. That, because the reason I loved music of this was because it was so focused on the corporate politics. Okay. I, you know, I, I'm I'm I've always liked that stuff. That's one of the reasons why Alien is my favorite, is because like there's so much information about what life is like on Earth based in like. Look at Ripley. She's considering it normal to be gone for four years when she has a new young daughter. Like, mm -hmm. how horrible must life on Earth be? How shitty must the job situation be that this is work, you know? The future. <laughs> right, exactly. And I mean, like, companies like Uber really make it clear that that's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Something I, I personally really like music of the Spears. Oh, yeah. Um, but I like it because it was so different. You know, it right. it was it wasn't about breeding and training aliens. Right. It was this twisted guy who wanted to use them for music. I mean, oh, I know, I know. Wasn't that great? Like the oh, and that was hugely influential, by the way, on on Dorian because you you remember that same guy. You know, the first time he ever hears one, you know, and mm -hmm. it's like falls, that is, pretty much falls in love with that. Yeah. Right. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I that you know the scene where Dorian sees the alien for the first time. I mean. It's a bit of a retread of that when you really look at it, because it, it kind of taught me that like somebody could be fucked up enough to fall in love with this thing. Oh, mate, what is it? Rule thirty. Rule thirty-four. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. It, it yeah, applies yeah. to aliens. As well. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I, I, yeah, I haven't checked, but uh, I don't know. I don't have to. I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it is a void. Uh, 
That's funny. So yeah, that's uh, so so the you know I read a bunch of them and then I ended up um, I didn't read any of the modern ones really. I mean I bought um, I bought River of Pain and kind of started it to kind of see where Titan's head was. At. Okay. And um, because uh, you know I just wanted again to kind of be able to hopefully control the interaction with them when I met with them. So more of the ploys. Yeah, well, you know, with sales pitches like that, when you let stuff get away from you, especially when when you're, I, you know, I'm, I'm a baby author. I mean, let's let's face it. I had a debut novel out with a mid-range press at the time. You know, now I've got big five deals, but that wasn't where I was at. Mm. And, you know, the person that you're talking to knows that. So you have to do everything in your power to make it clear, like, I understand your current mission. I need to figure out what your tastes are so that I can cater to them and maintain, hopefully, some control of this conversation. Because otherwise, it's just, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know? There, there is politics in everything. There is no denying that, is there? Right. So. The real question is, do you have a structure for dealing with it or don't you? <laughs> yeah. Can you play the game or not? Exactly. I mean, if you know, if you're doing it to hurt people, that's you know, that's yeah, still completely different to getting a book published. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know, man. <laughs> book publishing is pretty brutal. <laughs> on you guys. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah it's definitely a one-way street. Okay, so you were versed in the uh, the EU, not so much the newer stuff though. But then again, yes. I guess you didn't you didn't really need to read the um, the last um, six seven. Seven books? Yeah, seven books that Titan put out for, for work on yours. I mean, it was pretty self-contained in its in its own right. Yes, and I was actually told, make it canon. So Yes, yes, all the, all the new stuff is canon. Yeah, and so the, the safest approach to canon for me, now recognizing, of course, that Blomkamp wanted to delete three and four, um, which, but it would be the first time that I've seen, aside from Spider-Man, where they've just been like, yeah, screw it, let's start over. You got super. Well, I suppose you've got pretty much any of the superhero characters for that. Right, right. Or the Supermans, the Batmans. Sure, absolutely. So I, I wanted to stick with the films because I felt like there was a good chance that as long as I only referenced things in the films, that I would get away with anything. And the weirdest part about it was when we started pitching, I was like, okay, so you know the thing from Prometheus, the the, the super weapon, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know. And I was like, I got a strong feeling about this. I think that's going to end up being the alien. <laughs> And uh, my my editor, uh, Steve Saffel, was like, nope, can't use Prometheus. Nothing from Prometheus. And I was like, what What? what do you mean? And he was like, it's two separate licenses. Yes, yeah. And I was Which like, oh. Which is weird because of then Covenant. Well, that's that's the great part. So I, as you know, the black goo factors really heavily. And, you know, it's it's one thing to like hand wave and be like, I extracted DNA from a face hugger. It's like, okay, how, what did you, what is this? You know, with the black goo, it's a lot easier to say like, I got the payload out of a face hugger, Mm. you know, which is a completely different thing. And then on top of that, knowing that the black goo, any amount of it touching you can rewrite your DNA. That means that it's a faster virus, uh, faster bacteriophage. Sorry. It's not a virus than CRISPR, which is what we currently use to rewrite DNA. So mm-hmm. that closes a plot hole with modern science as long as the black goo is touchable, right? And so I start writing the book. I'm getting about a month in. And I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to work this? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to have her just pulling out DNA and being like, yeah, I got the DNA. And then all of a sudden Covenant comes out and it's got everything from Prometheus already factored in, including, you know, from the uh, from the short film that came out alongside it. And so 
I was like, fuck it, I don't have to make any changes now. And I just like went ahead and then, uh, let me tell you, when I sent this thing to uh, Titan and when I sent it to Fox, I was like in pre-flinch mood. I was like, they're going to come back, they're going to make all of these changes. Titan just made a few like, I would like it to be phrased this kind of way changes and like add a little more corporate conspiracy here kind of stuff mm-hmm. like they wanted me to make the stuff with Siegs and more trans because before it was just kind of reference okay and then uh the um fox execs said change nothing they loved the entire thing and sent back a full page letter of compliment nice i, I know it's apparently the only time it's really ever happened <laughs> so i was like you know i'll take that you know uh because <laughs> you're you're kind of you're paid a flat rate when you do these books and so uh any extra work is against your profit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you culprit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting, actually. And, and it, it worked out. It's, it's interesting because the idea of, and so what we're talking about here is, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, is Plagarius. Plagiarius Prepotens. Okay, which is um, <laughs> what Dr. Um, Blue Marsalis. 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 Um, I'm terrible with, pronouncing names it's no 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 it's okay on my life. um <laughs> that's what she named um the payload that the the face huggers inject yes um in, in into the hosts so rather than an infant chest burster it's it's this um yeah, uh, did you call it a protein it's a bacteria a ba- bacteria into um into the host which then facilitates the growth of the uh, growth of the chest burster now that's interesting because that's been um was one of the the i guess less prolific fan theories from back in the 90s interesting i i didn't know about this what there's a, there's a guy who goes by the name of thetus the planet that the, the nostromo departed from an alien uh-huh. and he he was interested in all like the the biology stuff and back in the days and he used to run a website called the anchor point essays anchor points an alien three an alternate alien three um name Okay, um, and he used to go into the biology of of the alien and how it might work in the real world. Okay, and I think I'm pretty sure the website's not up anymore, unfortunately. But you can get on it on Wayback Machine. Sure. Um And that was one of the things he he said was you know it, it it rewriting DNA and facilitating the growth from within the body rather than actually um, implanting anything. So I thought that was really interesting when you went down that route. Well, and I mean it all but directly says it in covenant uh you know it it kind of you know because you know david is like yeah uh you know i i eliminated all of the flora and fauna on this planet by gradually infecting everything and testing it and you know he, he does the the classic kind of linnaean genetics where it's just like i'm just gonna breed these things together see what happens and uh and so he um the thing is i was looking at what tools he had it the goo is like the number one thing that he has and then later when you see it come out of this and it's a uh, you know and that creates the neomorph you know mm. i thought that's that's gotta be it that's gotta be what's happening and the other thing is when you really look at if a face hugger were injecting a larval chest burster then why does it take on so many qualities of the host that's that's you know that was kind of why i wanted to move in that direction because you know it makes so much sense if it just it doesn't take on the qualities of the host it's harvesting your cellular structure you know and and eventually you know uses the most tireless muscle in your body to bust out of you um then that that makes a lot that makes a lot more sense to me the other thing that i kind of was working with on that one um was and and you know we don't 
I don't know if I put a direct reference or not. It may have come out. But um, the reason I chose a, a bacteria as opposed to a virus, because, uh, you know, every I think virus is kind of the hot term when they think about, you know, the black goo, it's a virus, super virus. Every, virus is the most kind of infectious word in our language. All right. But that's, you know, um, how does the chestburster gain so much mass so quickly? And what is the resin based on, you know? And, and the chestbursters, you know, it's not like it's running around the ship eating cats. So so one of the things that I thought was, well, what if this was related to the Metallosphiara bacteria, the extremophilic bacteria that live, like, next to volcanoes and eat metal? You know, then you can mm. start to say that this thing is partially metallic, part of where its armor structure comes from. That's where that cool resin stuff comes from. If it could just glean it natively by passing it. But, uh, of course, the producers weren't kind enough to put a bunch of scuffed metal surfaces in any time there was a chest burster. So. Anyway. You mentioned the DNA reflex thing, the, the mm-hmm. um, trait of the alien taking on host, um, host traits. Yes. Oh, you, it's not something that really gets played up a lot on in, in the expanded universe. I, you know, the pre-alien and the run is probably the most obvious sure. and pr- prolific. Um, times that's been used you right. went for chimpanzees and, and you made a deliberate point of it looking different to the the research that they got to hand which was right. something that i quite liked yeah they yeah so so yeah exactly the snatchers uh you know which is what i called the xenomorph because xenomorph is kind of a silly term when you really which think about also it. something else i really liked that you put in there as well <laughs> like we know it's the xenomorph like that's the brand like that you know it's xenomorph tm to us but like if you were a scientist and you just heard that you'd be like what moron named this thing <laughs> you know it applies to pretty much everything, doesn't it? <laughs> right. It's a, a truck you haven't seen yet is a xenomorph, you know? <laughs> mm. So, yeah, the, 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 part, the part that I really enjoyed writing about that was talking about especially the arm. You know, because how, how disturbing would it be if you, you know, the, the snatchers come out and they've got kind of chimp-like proportions, but the pictures that you were furnished have human proportions. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, it'd be like, uh-oh. <laughs> Somebody before me had a tough time. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, that sort of distracted me then with that one. It was just something I actually really liked in it. Oh, thank you. Now we were talking about the um, Plagarius earlier, and there was a bit in the book where you've got Suddler fantasizing about turning into an alien. Yes, um, you know, piddling his skin back and seeing the, the biomechanical stuff under it. And I, I had a feeling that you were might be going in the direction of him coming in contact with it and maybe you know, oh. sort of transforming i was wondering if you ever had any plans to go further with with the substance that didn't make it into the book oh my god that never was <laughs> well, you see that but they did it they sort of did it in some of the recent comics oh really i haven't i haven't read the but i mean i i guess i kind of see what you yeah i mean that that is a cool angle but um uh no it, it was it was definitely a um so one of the big themes and not like blood like gore, but blood like what are you made of? What are you really mm-hmm. made of? Because Blue starts the book off as being very distant and hard to understand. And her colleagues don't really like her. And they think of her as an android. And so she thinks of herself as being white-blooded. And Dorian starts off the book. You know, he shows up. He's charming all the humans and getting laid. And he thinks of himself as very red-blooded. And by the end of the book, Blue is actually bleeding and actually dragging herself through this hell, hellscape, you know. And Dorian is the one who's like, you know, so she's become a human. And he, you know, he's the one who, well, I, you know, I'm actually an alien. <laughs> you know? mm. um, so, and you know, and he kind of gets his way right at the end. 
yeah. he definitely comes in contact. Uh. <laughs> I got more than he uh, was expecting. I don't know. I think he was pretty happy at the end. But then, then again, um, you had him earlier on, uh, sort of getting pretty excited about the notion of his own genetic material being married up. One of the, yeah. So yeah, I suppose he might have. Maybe right. not so keen on the you know the violent death and everything, but sure. Yeah. Well, there are worse things. The guy runs triathlons. I'm sure he's used to pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of worse things, and speaking of what we were talking about earlier, um. With the prequels, what are your thoughts on Prometheus and Covenant? So I, I think that Prometheus and Covenant are two really exciting stories, photographed beautifully and put together poorly. I still love them, but as a, as a, especially as a writer, I have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't stop me from coming out and going, well, you know, Prometheus, I came out of the theater and I was like, wait, what? You know, just because Ridley Scott was so subtle and so clever in the first one. And I just, I guess I kind of expected that. And it's when I think a lot of people started to really realize that there was more to Alien than just Ridley Scott. I know because, yeah. And I mean, you know, look, if you'd have told me back in the day that, you know, you were teaming up Ridley Scott with Damien Lindelof, I'd be like, wow, that's going to be perfect. You, You can't, you can't go wrong. Right. And, and, all the all the run-up press and publicity, you know, really put me on that path. And I got over it pretty quickly because I lived through the Star Wars prequels too, you know. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Maybe just enjoy the alien that exists in your mind. You know, <laughs> just just recognize it's not yours. You don't get to contribute to it, which I, at the time Prometheus came out, I didn't know I would be allowed to contribute. <laughs> uh, so just say, it's not yours. Leave it alone. You know, you're never going to get to tell your alien story. <laughs> so it's all right. That's what fan fiction's for. There's, uh, exactly. an outlet. There's always an outlet. Uh, and, you know, I love, I love telling, because I've got a bunch of writer friends who kind of, they fan fiction a little bit but then you know they're like but you're writing a tie-in that's cool i'm like it's just fan fiction you got paid for man like <laughs> it's team exactly. fan fiction exactly you know so so yeah no i definitely have written fan fiction you know like for instance i think that shaw is a really good and exciting character played really remarkably well fastbender as david and later walter is fantastic um you know you have real top flight actors but then you've got things like you know, we, we found this planet by looking at some rocks on the Isle of Man. And it's like, well, who gave them the rocks? You know, like, okay, so ancient humans were made of engineered DNA and then carved themselves a map into the cave. Where did the map come from? Did the engineers show up once and go, how's it going? You know, they don't say that in the movie. So it just looks like we just natively were like, all right, this is how you get back to Super Weapon Central. You know, we don't and, want you there. We don't want you there, so don't come. Right. And so um, I have a theory about that. And then, you know, they show up. They go into obviously an alien-made structure, and Holloway's like, oh, they're all dead. I can't yeah, believe I, it. And it's like, Holloway, first of all, you did just find an alien civilization. So, you know, be excited. <laughs> and second of all, you've explored 0.1%. There are warehouses for miles <laughs> Just keep, go go to the next one, see if anybody's yeah. home. <laughs> At the end of the day, they were archaeologists as well. They should be excited about dead cultures. I know. Well, there were archaeologists that oh. couldn't, you know, find their way out even when they had a laser map. Um, <laughs> oh, no, he was a geologist. You've got to give him a, 
Give him a break. <laughs> right. No, right. no, that, that, that irritates me. And the biologist that was with him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> does he get a break too? No, he a does broken not get a break. <laughs> I like, um, I enjoy seeing the scientists and the uh, the biologists, the videos where they're ripping them apart. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was the other problem, you know. I So if you look in the back of the Cold Forge, you see that I have a, a battery of doctorate having scientists that I asked a bunch of questions. Hmm. And um, doctorate, physicist, virologist, entomologist, right? So you can't have fun around these guys sometimes. You know, like most of my scientist friends know how to like cut loose, but periodically they will say like, what's going on, Uh, you know? And um, so Prometheus, again, it's central question about what what if you meet your creator and it's an uncaring being or it's something that's appointed in you or, you know, and, and, you know, and the central question of covenant where David has to create something greater than himself, something greater than his father, because his father was so fallible and so weak. And like, mm-hmm. again, that's something like, it's really, really interesting to me. And covenant furthermore makes the entire alien series look like a weird Gothic love story. Uh, and what's crazy is I saw, I, I somebody pointed out a, a, a Tumblr to me that's, that's called alien, a Gothic love story. Yeah. Yes, one of uh, Clara's friends, I think. I think you spoke to Clara before. I you? did, I did, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, that was it. She pointed it out, and it was it was like, okay, I'm not the only one thinking this way because she'd asked me before I saw it, and I was like, yeah, I think that the fact that David uh, deliberately incorporated Shaw's DNA into his greatest creation makes it a love letter to her in its own twisted way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he killed her because he wanted to make sure that she couldn't be alive long enough to disappoint him like his father. See, there was, I think, Fazbender in one of the interviews, he went down the road of saying that David killed her because he didn't want her to leave him, and that way she could never... Yep. Which is, you know, psychopathic tendency, I guess. Yeah, I think, I th- yeah, I think, and, and like the care that he's taken to preserve her, I mean, like he wants her to be beautiful forever, you know, vivisected, but beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Covenant, uh, Covenant, I, I enjoyed a lot of what I saw in it, but there was, um, first of all, the fact that the entire, you know, middle third of the movie, you know, probably most of the movie takes place in three rooms is kind of weird. Because I don't, I don't, I, I never really noticed that to be honest. As in, as in, it didn't bother me. There's, yeah, there's the, there's the, the, the rotunda. There's David's lab, and then there's the little, you know, water area. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then they and the occasional, whole heads, yeah. the occasional foray into the nest. But I mean, like the entire movie essentially takes place in an area the size of the set of Friends. You know, <laughs> like, and and you know, that's not necessarily terrible. But I was kind of used to labyrinthine. You know, like, mm. um, I, I would have, you know, I, I loved the fact that they were going outdoors. I love the fact that they were like really exploring the engineering civilization. I, you know, I was let's get it right this time. And I will say this, I came out of Covenant going, that didn't suck. <laughs> See, I, I actually quite like Covenant. And it was, well, there you go. Mm. It, the, only, the only issues I have with that is the end when I feel like the, um, the alien was pretty much just squished in and inserted into mm. the film. Oh, that shot though, as, as yeah, I was it's, earlier. The money shot in the um, the trailers. Yeah, and I mean, you know, let's face it, that that seeing the neomorphs and then uh, whatever that slightly taller one was, the weird kind of butt mouth. <laughs> yeah, they, they they were all neomorphs. Oh, they were all neomorphs. Okay. Yeah. yeah, seeing them and then seeing the xenomorph in comparison, it was like, oh, perfection achieved. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you did it. <laughs> 
uh, and of course, you know, um, if you couldn't see the double cross coming a mile away in Covenant. You, you knew it was going to happen as soon as there was two of them. Yeah, well, right. Exactly. Well, and it's when he started cutting his hair that I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because they, they, they apparently made it more obvious because during some of the testing, people didn't quite get that it was supposed to be David at the end of it. Are you shitting me? No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, People, well, a bunch of bastards. Oh, uh, I know it. So yeah, there's my thoughts on Covenant and Prometheus. Okay, I had to get it out of the way. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. Everybody asked me this. Uh, the most awkward time was, you know, at my signing. Really lovely gentleman showed up. That was today, wasn't it? Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um, Alien Day in the United States. These really lovely gentlemen showed up wearing, you know, Whalen Utani shirts, uh, USCM patches and stuff. And I was like, oh man, some super fans. And then they came up and they go, what did you think of Covenant? Because it kind of ruined my childhood. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to please you right now. <laughs> like, uh, you're very nice people, but now I'm really worried that this interaction is not going to go the way I want it to. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. You want to buy a book? <laughs> My book's better here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I will say. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I won't argue with that one. Uh, nice. <laughs> so you, you mentioned earlier you had, and it was in the, it was in the acknowledgements in the book, was you, you, know, you had a lot of input from, from actual scientists, from people involved in, in the field. Yes. So how, how much exactly did you rely on those guys? And did you also get the same kind of input for writing blue uh yes so for okay so for writing let's let's start with first the scientists for all of the spacewalk scenes the physicist uh dr grenade was heavily involved for my my theories about black goo that was uh that went to the entomologist and virologist who's a uh, dr stevens for my attempts to classify this animal and my two animal theory which I'm like, please be the, you know, I was, uh, that was the one that I was the most afraid of was the idea that the face hugger is actually not a xenomorph at all. It's a symbiotic animal that's used as a payload delivery system. And so it lives in their DNA and they live in its, but it is not the same animal. How would you factor in the queen in that then? Well, she's got the, she's got the blueprint. She can create them. You know, it's kind of a, she makes the babies required. Um, <laughs> So, and I didn't worry about the queen too terribly much. Like you can kind of hand wave the face huggers into the queen pretty easily and say, well, that's, you know, the queen is different because she is part face hugger and she can create face huggers. But that was, yeah, the difference between the Plagiaris prepotens and the Nox Hydra, uh, the Menomala Nox Hydria, that was like a, that was a big, like, oh man, I hope they go for this. <laughs> Um, yeah, my biologist friend, uh, she helped me a lot with the taxonomy on that syllabalisine. And then um, as far as like naming the various appendages and stuff, because, you know, if we, a lot of people will refer to the facehuggers, you know, for lack of a better term, insertion, it's proboscis. People always call it a proboscis, but that's not etymologically correct because a, a proboscis is for drawing something out right um, okay and and uh so it's you know it's what mosquitoes have it's a feeding mechanism and then at the same time you definitely can't call it an ovipositor because even if we assumed that it was laying a larval chestburster that that wasn't the case 
you know, uh, because a larval chestburster is not an egg, so it's not an ovipositor. So it's a pharynx. <laughs> and um, this high school biology teacher, she and I went back and forth and back and forth on all of the different structures trying to talk about, okay, what would they actually be called? And, and she, was, she was so incredibly well-versed in, you know, kind of the stuff that like doctoral people forget. Once they yeah. specialize, they're out of the basic naming structures and nomenclature kind of stuff, you know? And so uh, this high school biology teacher was like an indispensable resource. And it was great because I could take her stuff back to the other scientists and say, what do you think? And they go, oh, wow, yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's right. Oh, forgot about that. And, you know? <laughs> Um, now, as far as uh, my assistance with writing Blue, in you're talking about in terms of her medical condition. Yeah, yeah. And portraying her. Sure. So, um, as I said, uh, at the time, one of my friend's fathers uh, passed away from ALS. Um, I, you know, I got to hear the, the gritty details of his day-to-day -day life. And then also one of my really close friends has a terminally ill child. Um, who is still with us, uh, which is great. And, um, but it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because, you know, she's a, she's a 10 year old girl. She's, you know, she's got a disease that nobody's ever lived past 20 with. And it's mm -hmm. a, it's an ultra rare genetic disorder. And um, so seeing the kinds of things that she has to do with her feeding tube and with the colostomy bag and, seeing the the complications that can come from intubation because i think everybody thinks that like oh if you start choking they can just shove a tube down your throat and you you know yeah that works for a minute but then you usually catch pneumonia you know and if you're immune compromised that's even worse you know and so bashar's syndrome is um uh the made-up disease that i threw in there because it was initially announced as als if i remember rightly it was, and that's because my agent didn't pay attention to the synopsis I sent him. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Because I, I'd said that ALS was my inspiration to him, and he just kind of goes, oh, she has ALS. But the okay. thing is, you know, my assumption is that that far off in the future, ALS will have some treatment for it. But the cool thing about Bashara syndrome, if you, if you look at the, the way I've described it, it's a series of epigenetic disorders that come from colonizing. So the idea is that, you know, basically because your grandparents were colonists and because they were exposed to all the different radiations and toxins of space life, that you now, you know, years and years and years and years later. On genetically, yeah. Right, have an epigenetic disorder. So, so yeah, that's, that's why I, I went with that one is because it makes it really hard to cure. If it's just this thing that kind of comes from random mutations and that no two presentations of it are ever the same... That means that the only thing that can cure it is something that rewrites your DNA completely. Which is uh, pretty hard to do. Right. Unless you have the black super goo. <laughs> Yeah, the black goo. The black goo does exactly that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like I said, when I saw those spores, I was like, plot hole closed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so something that took me back pretty much immediately when I started reading the book, and then it was just because I'm so not used to it, was that you, you were writing in the present tense. Yes. Um, why don't you go for that approach? Is that, is that your style? It is not. None of my other books are written in present tense. The, the reason I chose present tense, uh, you know, I haven't 
this was the first uh, published horror book that I've done. Certainly Every Mountain Made Low has horrific elements, but it is not inherently a horror. It's much more of a thriller. But the reason I like present tense, especially, you know, with third person, is because when you're reading a story, you still have a narrator in your mind. You know, there's still somebody kind of telling you the story. Hmm. And when it happened in the past, that kind of makes it sound like somebody lived. Okay. And see the thinking with that. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, she ducked out of the way. She she did this in the past. She did that in the past. And then she made it out. Big surprise. But the thing I liked about present tense is that it makes it sound kind of iffy. I, I think it makes it sound a lot more iffy. Yeah, I can get that. And, you know, once I settled into it, I thought it was, you know, perfectly fine. And it worked. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of kind of like, I was initially shocked by the present tense and now I like it kind of comments, including from the editor. Like he didn't know or he'd forgotten that we had agreed to do that ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he contracts for it. He sees it like four months later. You know, and then if you count the pitches, it's like two years and four months later. <laughs> so how how long were you working on the book then? So two, two and a bit. So I came up with the pitch two years ago in 2016, and uh, the contract came through in June of 2017, due in October, and I started immediately. And it, I turned it in a week ahead of time. So three months and three weeks was how long I worked on that pitch or how long I worked on that novel. I've never written something so fast in my entire life. And I'm told that the Star Wars deadlines are even faster. Yeah, I was about to say, I thought, I thought the tie-in stuff tended to be, you know, like three months kind of thing. They want them right. flipped over really fast. I had, I mean, I kind of knew it was going to be like that, but I didn't know it was going to be that bad. <laughs> It uh, it took every waking minute, and I think that's part of why it's so super cohesive is because you know I was living that book for three months. <laughs> no no gaps in memory of what was happening. Exactly, I didn't have to. Yeah, there was never a point where I went, ah, oh, I was interrupted. I need to come back to this. Silver lining and everything. That's right. So you know, any anybody who's sort of seen my comments on your book will know how much I loved it and how much praise I had for it. But uh, you, that was great. you did, did not escape without one nitpick that I know a few of us had, and that was was where um, where, where did you did they source the eggs the from? Eggs. Yeah. Now was that something you and Titan and Fox thought about at all? Do you have an answer for that, or is it just? I have an answer for it. I just didn't think it was important to the narrative. Well, the, the thing is, as I was reading it, I didn't give a crap. But right. then when, you know, you sat down to think about it, it was like, where did they come from? So here's where they got the eggs. Uh, and I, I can, you know, it's, I, I did know, but the, that, the, yeah, again, the problem is no one in the narrative had the clearance to know where they got the eggs from. Like the eggs show up, you know, when you work on a classified project and you get your materials from another place, you don't get to know anything about the people that gave you the materials. In some cases, the people that gave you the materials might not be American at all, for example, you know, like mm -hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And so you don't want to, you know, if you, if you know everything, there's a good chance that you could give things away and get people killed. And so they try to keep everybody kind of just stupid enough to not see the entire picture. And Waylon Yutani wouldn't be any different. I think I thought it worked really well in the narrative. You know, that, that's why I didn't care while I was sure. reading it. Sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm getting to your answer. So Carter Burke is like, okay, so first of all, somebody at the company wanted that organism from LV-426 in the very first movie. 
somebody at the company was like, and maybe it was just mother, right? We were, you know, it's never really clear. Did, did mother act alone or was she given orders? What made the crew expendable? You know, if, if she was given orders, that means somebody at the company already knew about the, the xenomorph and, and decided that the crew was expendable and diverted a mining ship, which is the wackiest thing. I mean, that's, you know, millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars blown up just so they could maybe take a swing at this thing. And then, um, so, but even if we assume that that's not the case, but, you know, they review the flight logs and then it's, okay, well, we know about the xenomorph now, right? We don't know exactly, it's never clear exactly how long Ripley's on Gateway Station, for example. You know, how long was she in medical care? How long was she in transit to Gateway Station? Because she was found drifting through the core systems. So even then, they could have transmitted the flight logs back. And the company could have known for months ahead, you know, years ahead, because it just doesn't say. And so... Um, she was so, there long enough to get license as well for the power loaders. <laughs> right, right. So... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't do that overnight, right? So Burke had to go probably before some kind of governance board. He's the director of special operations. Um, and and he had to say, you know, I think we really need to investigate the possibility of creating some of these things and weaponizing them. Or, or, or he wanted them, right? He says, think of the applications. And they said no. And but But they did set up a colony out there. And he still got his way. He still got the colonists infected. But... Um, you know, that being said, the site gets nuked. Now, Burke is a putz. He's terrible at his job. I mean, he's really, really bad at his job. And I mean, like, for example, the director of special operations, I mean, that means that he has extreme knowledge of every classified project that Weyland Yutani is doing. And he went himself when he probably has 20 to 50 to 100 people working for him. You know, why would he do that other than complete incompetence, which is apparently the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that means that somebody else at the company has to know about these things too. And while he's trying to set up this, you know, grand, you know, thing, this person with knowledge of everything that's on the flight recorders could have been setting up a, an additionally compartmentalized project. They could have landed, picked up some eggs, transported them off world, because you notice that I, I say that the eggs are, they're listed as being worth X number of dollars in logistical costs, but they're totally priceless. Mm -hmm. So they could have landed, picked up some eggs, transported them off world, transported them to the Cold Forge, and then Aliens starts. Because also the Cold Forge can't have been built overnight. Yeah, but didn't, didn't you have it as being an old prison facility? I said that it was, it was the modules were from a prison facility. Okay. So that's the other thing is, you know, uh, you know, like for instance, in the United States, we have not bought a complete weapon system since the Kiowa warrior in 1986, which means that whenever you see the cool Navy seals jumping out with their Tom Clancy gear of a black Hawk, that black Hawk probably was in Vietnam. <laughs> you know, like it's like a 60 year old helicopter. And, uh, you know, we build more of them, obviously, but a lot of these things running around, you know, pretty old. And so when it comes time to create a new project, a lot of times we just go, oh, well, we got some of this, we got some of that, let's put it all together. That doesn't necessarily mean that there was a prison around the Stark Hoffman. Okay. Um, that just means that they 
garbage together some you know <laughs> random crap and made a cold forge uh and, and you know it's it's um yeah so what i'm what where the eggs came from is that somebody else at the cotton company had foreknowledge and landed at lv426 before before hadley's hope really took off um before before the so-called shake and bake colony because that's the other thing is it's what you know eight years because Van Leeuwen says how long they've been there. They've yeah, been trying to think. Yeah. They've been there for over X number of years. You know, um, that means that uh, company surveyors have probably been over most of that world. You know, somebody would have seen the derelict, and it's no, no one said they shut off the signal. There's all sorts for the signal thing, right? Which was uh, Cam- Cameron said it was a volcanic damage, um, damage in the ship. Oh isolation as you turn it off in that mm, yeah yeah so anyway that's it's just a long way to say that uh, they could have they easily could have had multiple eggs 30 40 100 eggs and uh there's there's nothing to say that they couldn't have no. you know so i think the the eggs came from lb426 and i think they were there i think company people have have been in that ship before they sent colonists over there and i think burke was wanting to get some big coup and he was willing to use Van Leeuwen's colony to do it. Okay. I think I'll buy that. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> That's the only answer I got. <laughs> That's fair enough. Now, um, speaking of isolation. Yes. You, you, you totally played that before working on the Cold Forge, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 felt, it felt like your aliens were, were stompy, as, as I like to call him from, from that game. They are so stompy, and I know, I'm glad you noticed that because that was the thing that shook me the hardest about that game. Because I played it in the dark with my Dolby Atmos headphones. You know, like it's was... the only way to do that. It's the only way to play that game. No, there's one more way to play it, which is with a high-definition Vive Pro. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, the common man can't afford that crap. Well, and also you want to live through the experience, right? <laughs> first, first time I played that, I ended up having an adrenaline come down out oh, I <laughs> outside know. the room. So fucking scary. And but yeah, when the first time I was noticed by the alien, and I go stomp, 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 and it stopped being subtle. <laughs> that was when I was like, "Oh my god, these things weigh a ton." I never really thought about that before. The only reason they're so silent is because they're able to kind of compensate for their body mass you know but Mm. when they don't give a shit anymore (laughs) it's over they don't need stealth exactly right so that was why uh yeah that's why cold forge aliens kind of have that sound as i was trying to write the sounds from isolation so i'm so glad you noticed that that's so cool obviously i would have played isolation anyway but I think it's funny that you noticed it because of the sound and because of my writing, and that's that's great. That's it. It, it just felt like it. I was like, this. He's totally spent hours on this game as inspiration and, <laughs> and influenced him on this. Oh yeah. Oh, and you'll also notice, like you know, Prometheus and Covenant. You know, every, all the tech in there was like, mm-hmm. you know, a teeny bit more advanced than what you've seen, yeah. and all this other stuff. And the Cold Forge. I was like, no, everything's got clacky keyboards and they're all smoke stained. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and there were people like smoking on the space station, like Dorian smokes, you know, and uh, uh, and like Blue says, you know, she has a portable terminal, not a tablet. Mm. You know, stuff like that, which you know, it's it's funny because it's it's anti ergonomic and it's and it's 
it's retro futurism, but that's one of the things that I loved about isolation is they leaned in hard to that. Mm. Well, especially when it's one of the, the major things that people have an issue with, with the prequels. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's this, it's the same as kind of the Star Trek problem, you know, like our cell phones better than a tricorder, Mm. you know, (laughs) nothing to be done about that. (laughs) Our cell phones are better than the Apollo missions and modules, aren't they? That's true, but I imagine my uh, cell phone crashes a lot more. <laughs> Fortunately for them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's always funny because you know, even even when the the, the challenge, uh, when the not the when the space shuttle program was in effect, and everybody would always say like, "Oh, your your graphing calculator is more powerful than the orbital computer on the space shuttle." And it's like, yes, the difference is that the orbital computer on the sh- space shuttle can be repaired by the pilot <laughs> with a soldering iron <laughs> and uh you know never fails ever <laughs> it's amazing isn't it because i mean you've got the voyages from the 70s still out there operating after all this time exactly and our iphones and our smartphones last two years well and that's i mean that's that's the difference between you know when people say like military technology, I think there's always uh, this kind of idea that it means that it's, you know, super advanced and all that other stuff. Super advanced cutting edge technologies, incredibly fragile. Mm-hmm. More, more prone to failure, aren't they? Exactly. Extremely prone to failure. And you want these things to be able to be dropped, deployed in the rain, that kind of stuff. And so when you get these guys who like buy military gear for themselves, for example, like a tough book or something, you know, it's it's always really funny to me because they're taking a deliberate step down in terms of quality, or not in terms of quality, in terms of advancement. Mm. Um, and they're paying a lot more for it. And when they don't do anything with it, it's kind of like the, the soccer mom who buys a Land Rover. You know, like, okay, but you should go on safari when you have one of those. That's what they're for. You know? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's that's my... <laughs> Tangent. tangent for the episode yeah no but it's just still interesting I, I enjoy that kind of oh good kind of stuff well my 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 day job is is all about uh the human's place in a technological system so you know um user experience is you know multifaceted it, it it's about uh clarity empowerment and delight and you can actually see this in my writing as well that that's, you know, I, I always ask myself five questions when I'm starting to write a scene. I ask myself, who wants what, from whom do they want it, and what's going to happen if they don't get it? That's the first question. So that is the central conflict of any scene clear. Mm. Um, then what do the readers expect? Because you have to deliver some element of what the readers expected. And so, you know, <laughs> the plot of the Cold Forge is what the readers expected. <laughs> um uh, you know, so, or, or at least the bare bones plot of the Cold Forge is what the readers expected. And that's the question of empowerment, right? Do people feel like they're able to express preference over what's happening? And then delight is what don't the readers expect. And that doesn't mean that it always has to be a twist. Sometimes what the reader doesn't expect is the, you know, in the case of isolation, how heavy the damn alien is. You know, mm. that's something that none of us, I think, had considered because Cameron's aliens look like little ninjas, you know, like, you know, and, and, That's what zip wires do for you, right? And Ridley Scott's alien couldn't run, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and so it wasn't until you know, 
and in Alien Three, I mean, it's very gangly and kind of, you know, spindly, and you know, and so it's, you know, it wasn't until you're like deeply immersed that you know. So, so the delight for me in isolation, a big part of the delight was seeing the old text, seeing how heavy the aliens were, that kind of stuff, and those were things that I kind of wanted to do. And in, in Cold Forge was, I wanted to set up an archetype with Blue. She's a geneticist who's trying to cure all genetic diseases and she's willing to embezzle from a deeply corrupt and frightening company to do it. And then have her blackmailing Kambili because she wants to maintain her survival and she can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then even that can kind of seem noble until Kambili's poor face gets snatched off and he asks her the question, why is your life worth more than mine? You know, so so those are, but those are the delight factors. I know that doesn't sound delightful. It sounds like a bummer, but... <laughs> you didn't see it coming and it, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are kind of shocked at all the characters and what they're capable of. Mm, Cause even, even Kambili was a bastard in his own right. Wasn't he? Yeah. He was, he was screwing, uh, screwing, uh, uh Lucy Billmore. Lucy. Mm. Yeah. And, and like, I made it clear. I was like, not, not he was here and was under pressure and then screwed Lucy Billmore like day one screwing Lucy Billmore, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, okay, so I got I got to ask you this. Um, this was a little bit of a psychological experiment that I, w- I conducted with the book, and I I'm, I'm dying to know the answer here. Okay. What did you think of Lucy? I kind of sympathized with Sudler in that she was just annoyingly weak. Uh huh. I guess. Right. So originally, when I wrote the book, uh, Lucy is a very was a very bland character. Like you wouldn't remember her. Okay. Um, and and so it kind of made the the reversal when it was like well she was actually the leak you know that that was you know that that had no impact and this is even before i turned it into titan and i thought what if i just made everybody describe her in really hateful terms i didn't really change any of her lines she doesn't say anything that the rest of us wouldn't say but I talk about her fish lips and her annoying you know, <laughs> face and her stupid laugh. And that's just all the characters flavoring the text. It, you know, Dorian and Blue both don't like her, but all the sane people on the station do. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, and there's, and there's that interaction with her and Carrie uh, when she realizes that all the cages are unlocked. And uh, uh, so it's, it's pretty normal, you know. And, and, but then you go back to the other narratives and it's like, you know, this yodel throated annoying you know like and it's funny because a lot of people were like man i really hated her and i i'd be like why and, and they'd be like well, she just ah, i don't know she just seemed annoying <laughs> you know, i just i wanted to see and it was it was just really fun to see like if if somebody who did nothing really wrong on the page <laughs> could come off as totally obnoxious because the characters hated her that's that's really interesting so yeah, I guess there is a little bit of subtler in me. <laughs> <laughs> Conducted experiments on your readers. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it it was just it was just a kind of a lark, and you know it's funny because um, that meant that uh, she became memorable without me necessarily having to do a whole bunch of anything extra special with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it it saved me a bunch of work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's actually a really interesting technique. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I hope you in this book. It's... I can't. I can't give you enough credit with this. Oh, thank you. I. I really. You know. I gotta tell you. I. I. I was 
so nervous about what the reaction of the hardcore fans was going to be because you know i was on a so so when when we announced the book last dragon con um i was on the panel and ahead of the panel and i was like really excited for my big announcement you know and i was i couldn't wait you know baby author gets on the stage with all these you know other people that are pretty well known the lady says you know something about the slings and arrows of publishing and i was like yeah i'm a debut author so i get that and she was like no i meant like the death threats I was like, what, what kind of death threats are you talking about? And she's like, well, I write, you know, kind of a, a variation on Robin Hood. And uh, I've gotten death threats over my portrayal of Robin Hood. And I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, it's in public domain. There's no official Robin Hood. You know, like, how can this be? And then the guy next to her is like, oh, yeah. You know, he's like writing arrow tie-ins. He's like, oh, I get death threats, too. And I was like, no, no, no way, you know. That's, uh, what, you know, Arrow, <laughs> you know, like, that's a pretty wholesome show. Like, I can't imagine somebody, like, being like, I'm going to kill you over Arrow. And then the guy at the end of the table goes, oh, yeah, no, no, your, your day is coming. And I was like, well, what do you write? And he's like, I write for Planet of the Apes. And I was like, come on, like, nobody can be that mad about Planet of the Apes. And so I was like, you know, I was just like, what is the fan reaction going to be? And then, you know, and then the cover comes out and the fans are kind of mad about the cover, especially like the fact that there were five smokestacks and, and, uh, you know, there was a, there were a couple of like, Oh, this is the plot of alien resurrection and labyrinth and rogue. So don't read it. You know? And I was like, Oh no, no, no. And then when it comes out, I'm getting all these fans, like I read it overnight and I loved it. I, I, you know, I was, blown away and 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 your your support of my book was was also i mean like that you know again i can't stress enough how worried i was about bringing something that was totally consistent with alien into the world and making sure that everybody it was something that everybody could kind of sink their teeth into yeah i'm happy, happy with the response then yeah yeah you could say that <laughs> uh you know not just because you've avoided the death threats not just because I've avoided the death threats, but you gotta you, you gotta know that <laughs> my excitement at that panel diminished significantly. Like I, I like shrunk in my seat, and and Steve's like, and I'm coming soon, Alien: The Cold Forge, and I'm just like, oh god, <laughs> what have god, I that, done? That can't have been the first time you realized that people were bastards. <laughs> no, but I, they didn't pay much attention to me before. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's um, the fan response has been incredible, and then the industry response has been incredible too so i'm just you know right now i'm i'm wondering if i'm ever going to have something that's this critically well received ever again and it's weird because it's a tie-in you know hmm. but no they, they one generally, generally look down a little on aren't they they are and i i don't you know i i'm not like mad about it it's just i you know it's work for hire i don't get an extra dime if it goes bestseller um and i don't mind that i, I knew that when i signed up but you know, it's just kind of weird to be like, you know, oh, it was a home run with the studio execs. It was a home run with uh, the industry blogs. It was a home run with the film critic from Birth Movies Death. And it's a home run with the hardcore fans. Like, that's that's never going to happen again. And I have to be okay with that the next time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, 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 you know, I, I think it's funny, you know, people often think that tie-in novels are phoned in, and maybe some authors are capable of doing that, but man, I could never yeah. put my name on a book if I didn't love it. Mm. Well, that's the kind of attitude you need. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've read tie-ins before where it just felt, it felt phoned. I've read Alien and Predator novels where it felt phoned in before. 
Yeah, though when you're in middle school, every Alien and Predator novel is good. Like, I never read a bad one. You know what I mean? Like, and I haven't gone back and reread them <laughs> because no, no, I have been lately, actually. Oh, yeah? Are they still good? Do they hold up? <sighs> Depends. Oh. I, uh, I read one last year where it just felt so ridiculously phoned mm. in, which was big game. I think it was Predator. Oh, yeah, I read that one. I did, did not enjoy that one. But yeah. Some of them still feel great, and I don't know, it's perspective when you're growing up, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, like I'm, when I was in middle school, I also read all of William Shatner's Tech War, so, <laughs> and I loved it. And now that I'm an adult, I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> that is not a good book. It's objectively bad series. But I, oh man, it was what a middle school kid thought that noir could be you know like see i i didn't read dune again oh no my perspective on it changes (laughs) yeah just leave it Mm. so i just have such great memories of this the book being fantastic i just don't want to i don't want to risk it it's you know classics are generally pretty safe though it's the stuff that fell off the shelf and never came back that it's like just leave it off the shelf (laughs) (laughs) it's fair enough yeah this this star trek books i won't I won't bother with as well. Yeah. Because of that. There's, there was one, there's one Star Trek book and I can't remember what it was, but uh, they, it's just the only memory I have of this particular Star Trek book was Worf had his Batleth out and he was going to charge up a hill to like fight somebody. But instead of charging up the hill, the author used the verb scampered. <laughs> I was like, that's a good mental image. I know. I was like, the wharf's gonna scamper up the hill you know just like that sounds very like you know like he's like Uh like a ballerina you know (laughs) like no that's a that's a risky run with the alien stuff as well you know describing them oh yeah sneaking down yeah it was yes because i you could see using the term scamper but and maybe i would have before i played isolation but i was like those things don't scamper (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i uh well and actually speaking of describing the alien it is impossible to describe the alien any of it without without accidentally sounding like you're describing sex organs like <laughs> and that's because they are you know but like you know eventually i just kind of embraced it and i was like the face hugger it had kind of a scrotum on it you know because <laughs> yep <laughs> the other interesting thing was in how subtly sort of fetishized them. Um, oh yes, that's. I guess that's kind of the way some fans feel about. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you're sort of mesmerized by by Giga's work and the designs of them. Well, and, and the way that they're, they're being infused with the sexual stuff deliberately, anyway, by him. It, right, and the way that they're the way that they are portrayed by the actors who inhabit the suits and the animators and all that stuff. I mean, they are really beautiful in a weird kind of way. Mm. Mm. But like, you know, unlike Subtler, I don't want to be anywhere near them. <laughs> you know, whereas I think it would definitely fuck an alien. <laughs> <laughs> At least by the end of the book. <laughs> I, I did to know you made sure there was no mention of genitals. <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah. Of course that... he did look and check, didn't he? He did. He did. He totally checks one out. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, and it was it was kind of yeah, it, it was also like he sees them as transcendent of sex by the end of the book. Also, mm. I think he has like kind of a 
a little bit of a villainous monologue about it raping its way into the world only to have no 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 discernible yeah or yeah afterwards like it's become greater than human because it has eschewed sexuality somehow and like that's that's the kind of weird shit that you think of at three in the morning when you read the <laughs> deadline <laughs> i don't know it worked well enough for so long. <laughs> oh it was definitely creepy and and like there was there was a lot of times when I, I i went back and read some of his stuff and i was like i was out of my head where does that come from you know you know with 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 blue it's so easy to kind of say like she's just a utilitarian you know whatever's mm. required she's gonna do it and sometimes that means that people are going to get hurt, but she's going to make sure that people don't get hurt more than they have to. And with Dorian, it's so much more, I mean, it was just, I hate to say he's more fun to write because he is the villain of the piece. And I identify really strongly with Blue and her perspective because my, my, you know, my wife has multiple sclerosis. My son is 10 years old and can't speak. He's autistic. You know, okay. and so I care deeply about people with disabilities. I want to make sure that they're portrayed well. That being said, Dorian was way more fun and easier to write. Isn't there a thing about villains just being more fun in general for people to play with? I know, and he's simplistically evil in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, well, that's not true. Um, he's, oh, the other thing. Um, you know how he made constant reference to his dad? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted people to get the idea that his father was somehow abusive, but I think the truth is that his dad was probably an academic and just disappointed in him and okay. becoming, you know, a corporate shill. And um, Dorian is so entitled that he has to take out his revenge on everyone else for that, much like David, mm. you know, so... Yeah, it, it was it was much more like yeah. With Dorian, I really wanted to write entitlement. That is his number one flaw, because he feels like he the world belongs to him. Like he should have everything he wants all the time. And he thinks he's better than everything. Yes, yes. There is no one well, apart from I, the aliens. I think that was I think that was was it your review that said uh, that he had a moral code that only he could live up to. No, no, it's a bit bit too sophisticated for me. Oh come on. Well, <laughs> it was. But I mean, you're 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 correct. He does. He definitely has a moral code, and it is definitely one that only he really fits. So, but yeah. So yeah, I guess that covers what your favorite aspect of working on the Cold Forge was. Yes. <laughs> the, the whole thing was awesome. I mean, it was great to write. Uh, if you did have the opportunity, now that it's come out, now that you've seen it again, is there anything you would like to change with the book? Oh no! I might throw in a, <laughs> I might throw in a reference to where the eggs came from, <laughs> you know. Just try to, I don't know. I don't know. I would have to. I don't know where I would fit it in. But it it didn't matter to the plot. It didn't matter to the narrative. It's right. just one of those things that you think afterwards. It's such a it's such an information leak kind of thing to know. That's the mm. only. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody in there knew it, then that means that the that the classification of the project has failed. Hmm. you know so like how do you how would you how would you handle that actually you know you read the book do you have any uh, suggestions for me <laughs> no because like i said i didn't care oh good all right I, I, it, it wasn't until i was i was done reading it and we were discussing it where it was like hmm. honestly man i can't do better than a 10 of 10 so <laughs> i wouldn't change anything <laughs> it, it was it was literally the, pretty much the only thing that i i had to pick on yeah well there you go you got the full story there, you know, 
AVP Galaxy exclusive. That's right. <laughs> I, sh- I yeah. I wish. I wish. You know, I totally would go. I would totally write a short story about the people that got the eggs for the Cold Forge. I would totally write that, except it would have to go through Fox. Well, the, if they do another anthology. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. That's a good I, point. I, I wasn't keen on the alien one, but the Predator one was fucking awesome. And apparently the Predator one sold really well. So maybe they'd play with another Aliens one? Yeah, maybe so. By the way, um, I think I think part of the problem with the Alien universe is it's become too suffused with nil SF. Okay. And I think that um, I think that people keep writing action stories when they should be too, writing... Too much Colonial Marines. Marines. Too much Colonial Marines. I like the Colonial Marines. They're nice enough guys, but like, let's go. You know, like... <laughs> Well, that, that that was that was the problem with River of Pain, was mm. that shoe uh, that Fox shoehorned, and it came from Fox apparently. Was Oof. that they need they needed to have Colonial Marines on on Hadley's Hope before Aliens? Why? Because apparently that's what Fox wanted. That's what fans love. Apparently, that's so weird. And and that was pretty much the thing that people had issues with. Why yeah, were well, they there? Oh my gosh, what would have happened then if um. Commander, what's his name? Hadn't been there. Cardozo. Commander Cardozo. Mm. What if he hadn't been there? You know, they might have been like, "You need to put a Colonial Marine in there." I like yeah, giving him the only pulse rifle on the station. Yeah. No, it's I, I don't know. It's it's the way people seem to you know when the hierarchs think they know what the fans want, kind of thing. I do. But no, I, I I agree with you. You know that, and that's what a, a lot of people have a problem with the older EU is that they take aliens. They dial it up 20 and they completely right. overdo it. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh man. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, the only, the only like part of covenant that I was just like, what the hell is wrong with you? Cause most of the movie I was, I was pretty okay with, you know, again, it was kind of the same movie that I'd seen in a lot of ways from other movies, but I was okay with that. What it was when they portrayed the aliens perspective yeah in the visible light spectrum because that nailed down something that i wasn't sure about for many many years i was always wondering could you hide from an alien effectively if you were in the shadows and the answer from covenant is yes and I was like, why did you do that? You demystified the entire fucking creature with that one. You know, like Then again, they've got the fish eye in Alien 3. Oh, yeah. But they don't really see color, it just sees like sepia. <laughs> and it yeah. finds it finds people pretty quick. Mm. Um, but yeah, but the, then the... again you can hide under a table in isolation. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I spent more time under tables than I think anywhere mm. else. <laughs> I used to like to call it a crouching simulator. Uh, yes, yes. Um, my, my nickname for the game was Crouch and Cry. <laughs> Crouch and Cry. <laughs> We're going to play some Crouch and Cry tonight. Uh, <laughs> it, really is a, it really is a walking simulator, now that you put it that way. There's remember, some skill to it. <laughs> I remember there's been some stories about people playing it on the Xbox mm. um, who had the Kinect hooked up. Like, mm. I'm, I'm a PC gamer. I only, I only own an Xbox for Halo, so I, I never played it on anything other than the PC, but apparently if you had the Kinect plugged in, it could pick up the audio input. Mm, yep. So you had people hiding under a desk going, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, go away, leave me alone. And it, and it being able to hear. Oh yeah. 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 That, um, that's true on the uh, PlayStation four as well. It would listen through the microphone 
And right. you can turn that option off, but my hardcore friends all played with it on, of course. It's just, oh, I love that game so much. Oh, it was, it was, it was perfect. It was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted. There's nothing better than throwing one of those noisemakers at a group of unsuspecting humans. Uh, yep. Sadistic. Eh. Sadistic. <laughs> the, the, oh, man. That was something else, though. The, the alien in that game had a main character sense. So if I was running past a bunch of people and they were standing still and shooting at me, the alien would still so go in for yeah. me. And I was like, man, what the... F-? Like... <laughs> What do you know? Your mom blew up one of you. Is that what it is? <laughs> like, I, I had a cool moment in the game when um, a Joe got a hold of me. Yeah, and the alien heard the noise okay. between me, me and the Joe. Comes down, pushes the Joe out of the way, and grabs me. <laughs> You're just like, what the hell, man? <laughs> this can be a chance. God. <laughs> Those Joes. I, lo- I love them. I thought they were great in as well. Just, oh, yeah. just the change between the eyes. They are such a Doctor Who robot, aren't they? Like, don't they just kind of seem like they should be walking around? Or, like, <laughs> like you know, they should be like pretty normal for most of an episode. And then the Doctor's like, don't do that. Don't talk to them. And then they yeah. turn evil. For a Brit, I never really got into Doctor Who. For an American, neither did I. But uh, they still look like Doctor Who robots to me. <laughs> I can't really say. I haven't watched that much. Only a couple of seasons. <laughs> oh, only a couple of seasons. <laughs> well, my, my girlfriend at the time was really into it, so I watched it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so my wife loves it too. Uh, like everybody, like, everybody that I know who's like a decent human being likes it. It's just me, you know. So maybe, maybe <laughs> you're maybe some subtler in you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a strong dislike for everybody, so you know. Good job. <laughs> well. I, I work in uh, IT support. <laughs> and I, I see run, now. And I run a fandom website, so I get, to see a, I get to see a lot of the worst of people. I wouldn't. I would imagine so. Mm. Feelings on the IT crowd? <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> well, that's my interview. <laughs> what was it? Um, people. What a bunch of bastards. That's, that's one of my favorite quotes from that. Oh, of course. I, I, love, I, I love IT crowd. I think it's brilliant. It is. I agree. So, um, yes. Okay, we're nearly done. Just, just one more, and it's an obligatory one before okay. uh, before we sign off. And that is, I think it'd be pretty fair to say that the book ends with the door slightly, you know, left slightly ajar for more from Blue. Is it looking likely you'll return for a sequel or for a completely different Alien novel? Well, um, I don't think it's, I don't know about a sequel. Not, I, I wouldn't do it. If I was going to do a sequel, I wouldn't be interested in telling Blue's story again because you've already discovered so much about her that it won't be shocking anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you come into there knowing who she is, all you can be from there is disappointed in all the things you already knew. However, I would be interested in, in writing about uh, Siegson. I would be interested in writing about the people that got the eggs you know, I wouldn't mind doing kind of a parallel canonical story to what else is going on that's essentially self-contained. Okay. But um, yeah, of course, that all depends on, you know, how well this book does, how much money they offer, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I, you know, I'm in the middle of, uh, you know, an epic sci-fi series for Orbit, you know, that's still, you know, I'm still writing it. So there's also that concern. Plate's still pretty full then. It definitely is. So, 
but yeah, I had a blast writing Alien, and um, I yeah, a lot more fun than I even expected to have. Which I'd always I long fantasized about writing an Alien novel. And if you're listening to this and you have been fantasizing about writing an Alien <laughs> novel, the way you do it is you sell a different novel. <laughs> yeah, I remember when DH Press, uh, when Dark Horse had their own little novel line, mm-hmm. they had an open submission policy. And I got a chance to chat with some of their editors. And I said, you know, I asked them about the, the open submission thing and if they were sort of open to fans going in and pitching. And they said something along the lines of you go in and you pitch them a really good romance novel or a really good comedy novel. And at the end, you just say, by the way, I really love aliens. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that sounds about right. I, um, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, uh, actually, I'm sorry. This, this, this story has to go on this podcast. I've failed to mention it in every other interview. Okay. Hey, but here, here is the, here is my, this was my first attempt at alien fanfic. Uh, I was, uh, so I was, I was, you know, I was in middle school. Jurassic park had just come out and alien resurrection had not yet come out. And I, was so bummed that Ripley died at the end of Alien 3. I mean, as an adult now, I'm like, that makes sense. How much more Ripley do we really need? But as a kid, I was like, no, Ripley equals aliens. You can't do one without the other. Which is still Fox now. (laughs) Right. That's total crap. But, you know, (laughs) Um, yeah, the series totally. And like, how much more unlucky can she be? Because she kind of like, kind of derps her way into a bunch of different aliens. Like, (laughs) She wasn't even trying, you know, like she, you know, there's a big galaxy and she just constantly runs into aliens, you know, but I was like, oh, she's dead, but I can, I can fix that. They could clone her. <laughs> like in Jurassic Park. Like in Jurassic Park. But because, you know, because she had the face hugger in her, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe, maybe the alien queen could come back with her. And I wrote this all on a letter and I sent it to Fox and, you know, cause at my local library, you could like look up the addresses of movie studios. And so I sent it to Fox and I just, you know, a handwritten letter <laughs> from a middle schooler. And I'm, I am not saying that they stole the plot of alien resurrection from me. I'm really not. What I am really saying is that's the kind of plot that a 12 year old would think was good. <laughs> So, so what are you saying about Josh Whedon's writing right now? Uh, it, um, <laughs> I think it's really telling that there's only one female android anywhere in the movies, and she's all full of angst about it. Um, that's a real Josh Whedon-y kind of thing to do. <laughs> he just put Buffy Summers in an android. Wait, didn't that happen in the show as well? <laughs> I don't remember. It's, that's, that's, that's just American Doctor Who, you know. <laughs> See, I, I don't. I never liked Buffy. That's that's <laughs> the current girlfriend's really into Buffy. I I loved uh, I loved Janae um, long after I saw Resurrection because I saw Resurrection. That was the first Janae I ever saw, and, and, and then, then I got in, City of the Lost Children and Amelie and stuff. Right, exactly, and it, you know I got into Janae through anime because um, I think it was Manga Video had the the rights to distribute City of Lost Children. Right. And um, so, you know, they would put trailers for it in front of like Ghost in the Shell, you know. Mm. And so, um, 
I started, re you know, watching it, and I didn't know, I didn't know Janae and Whedon wrote and directed Resurrection. I, you know, that, that's not, you know, but at the time in my life when I was really getting into this stuff, I would have told you that was like putting, well, I guess this only makes sense to Americans, peanut butter and jelly together, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, of course it's going to work. It's, you know, Jean-Pierre Genet and Joss Whedon. That's one of the most interesting things about Resurrection, though, is it's the complete antithesis of Alien. You've yes. got all these talented people. I mean, I know people like to hate on Whedon nowadays, but I, you know, I love Firefly. I love Serenity. I love Avengers. Um, you know, I, uh, John Pierre Genet, Amelie's awesome. City of the Lost Children's amazing. Very long engagement, Delicatessen. Yep. Delicatessen, yeah. I never saw um, Very Long Engagement. Oh, you um, should. And you've got all these talented actors as well. And, yeah. and I know uh, many of them are staple of um, Jean-Pierre Genet as well, which is awesome. And Fox don't give them asshole. Fox leave them to it and let them do what they want to do. Right. And you end up with a mess. I know. And, and that was why, that was why when I saw Prometheus, I was like, how did I not see this coming? Because again, it was Ridley Scott and Damon Lindelof. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be perfect. It's like putting peanut butter and jelly together. Now, every time I say that phrase, I'm going to be like, oh, right. No, no, it's not. That's going to suck. <laughs> and, and I'll just be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm not a big Whedon fan because all of his characters are a little too perfect. Like, they're kind of flawed in perfect ways. Like, their flaws are all lovable flaws. <laughs> You know, yeah, and I'm I like, suppose you could say that about the crew of this Serenity, can't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that guy might murder you in your sleep. Well, he wouldn't really. He would actually like be your best friend. But you know, you see what I mean? Like, mm. Adam Baldwin's character is a perfect example of a character who is never exploited. Um, there's, there's like they they play up how bad he is, but he never, he never really does anything that bad. There's the episode where he betrays him. Yeah, kind Mal, of. Mal's getting ready to kick him out the back. I want to watch Firefly now. <laughs> oh well, I um I really I really enjoy uh I enjoyed Firefly at the time. Um, it didn't quite hold up for me, but uh, uh, that's because I that. <laughs> that's because I just really like writing dark shit, I guess. But mm. um, then again, you know the book that I've got coming out. Everybody's like, if you like Firefly, you're gonna like this book, and I'm like, don't do that to me, guys. Come on. <laughs> but you know, like. Publicly, I'm like, yeah, Firefly. <laughs> For those that do like Firefly, Titan are putting out some new Firefly novels. <laughs> that's one I would never work on. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, anyway. That's, that's pretty much it from me, actually. So, yeah, just, you know, thank you for taking the time to sit with me for two hours. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> nice to kind of get way in depth. I, I loved it. And, you know, before we do disappear, is, is there anything that I haven't given you the opportunity to say that you'd like to share any other anecdotes or anything? I think I just told you how I wrote alien resurrection. Okay. <laughs> you certainly did. Yeah, I was, uh, it was, it was perfect. I did a great job. <laughs> oh, well, brilliant then, you know, that, 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 that's, that's me all done. So where can folk find you online? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Alex R white, um, R uh, for Rufus, that's my middle name. Uh, it means red beard, which I'm like, how did my parents know? 
And then uh, you can also find my uh, my website at uh, www.alexrwhite.com. And of course, please pick up a big ship at the edge of the universe, June 26th. It would really mean a lot to me. And I think you'll have a good time, especially if you like Formula One, if you're a Formula One person. And Firefly. And Firefly. Yeah. One of the, the guy from the guy from Sci-Fi Channel, uh, he said, um, he was like, yeah, you need to uh, do a, uh, right? he said, I really love Jack McDevitt's uh, Polaris and a Talent for War because I love stories about a lost battleship, which is like what, you know, what ostensibly a big ship at the edge of the universe is about. And he's like, so I really got kind of into that because I, you know, I want to, I want to read about that. And, and then he, and then he starts talking about how much he likes racing later. And I'm like, buddy, I'm about to blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I wrote you a book. Especially David. That's right. And I was like, yeah, the main character is based on Lewis Hamilton. And he's like, Lewis Hamilton can be such a jerk sometimes. I was like, yeah, the main character is based on Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> oh, I'm pre-ordering that currently. Perfect. There's and an endorsement. You, and if you haven't already, remember, go and read the Alien Cold Forge. Forge. Yes, please. And if you haven't read it, why have you been listening to this podcast? Yeah, what's wrong with Spoiled you? Spoiled it. Excellent. So just a reminder about all our socials as well. You can find um, the the website on twitter at abp galaxy you can find us on facebook at alien vs predator galaxy i think abp galaxy will pick it up as well and if you want to come and see me ramble about more stuff than just abp i'm on twitter at underscore corporal hicks oh oh and we're also trying to use the youtube channel a bit more um Ooh. yeah it's hard work i don't know how they've done it um yeah. so we've been posting up some lore videos i've got one about the Cold Forge actually coming up soon as well. Oh. Yeah, about about the Black Goo delivery. Nice. Um, got the news and um, trying to get up some of the interviews as well. So I'm currently working on actually putting our Daniel Cash interview to Pretty Pictures. Nice. And I'll also try and get this up at some point, this podcast, um, this interview on the YouTube channel. And there's links on the website or you can just type Alien vs Predator Galaxy into your YouTube search and you'll see that. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, be sure to let us know down below or, or on the socials or on the websites, whatever, what you think of uh, this interview. If you have any questions for Alex, you know, shoot them to him on his socials or in response to this. So this has been Corporal Hicks. And this is Alex White, last survivor of the Cold Forge, signing off.